Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. The recent implementation of California Statute AB5 has drastically increased the amount of workers in the state classified as employees. This new law makes it much more difficult to classify someone as an independent contractor and is significantly impacting multiple industries, including those within the gig economy. Jeff Burr, Radha Mohan, and Will Michella, in a discussion moderated by Mark Bagich, discuss the ripple effect AB5 may have in state legislatures and in Washington, and whether the bill's approach creates more problems than solutions for the state's rapidly expanding gig economy. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm Mark Baggage. I'm here with uh, my colleagues from Brownstein, and we have another Brownstein podcast. It's worker classification, but it's not as simple as it sounds. Uh, I'm joined today with Will Moschella, uh, Radha Mohan, and Jeff Burr to discuss the latest developments in worker classification policy. It sounds a little boring and when you say worker classification, very technical. Radha, tell us, kind of give us an overview of what this means, because it's starting to emerge as an issue in some states and to some degree conversations occurring in the halls of Washington, but really it's occurring on a state level. Tell us kind of what this means and then we'll go from there. Sure. So you'll have to bear with me because I think the beginning part of this <laughs> might be a little bit boring. boring. Um, Nothing's <laughs> boring in the Brownstein podcast. <laughs> there we go. Um, so the most important development to keep in mind is the California legislature's recent passage of AB5, which took effect on the first of this year. Now, AB5 is just the technical term for Assembly what? Bill yes, 5. Assembly Bill 5. Yeah, just exactly. so people know what that is. Yes, you know. Assembly Bill 5, just the technical name for it. Yeah. California and many others are still trying to figure out what AB5 means. But what AB5 basically did is codify the California Supreme Court's landmark decision in Dynamex, which basically set new, more rigid standards for worker classification. Under AB5, the presumption is you are an employee unless the employer can prove otherwise and and actually affirmatively show that you are an independent contractor. So there's a three-factor test that they laid out. I will, at a (laughs) 10,000-foot level, the three factors are basically the worker has control over the work that's being performed and is free from direction of the employer. The work that they engage in is outside of the company's main business. And the third factor is that the that the worker can work independently from the company. This is often referred to as the ABC test, and it's basically a major departure from what we've traditionally used in this space. And, and let me pause you. I mean, basically is – the determination is, are you a contractor to the employer or are you an employee of the contract? And this is now a great debate. Yes, okay. exactly. And you got Uber it. Uber is <laughs> – Uber, yes. Uber is at the center of this debate and I think a lot of the press reports have actually focused on ride-sharing companies like Uber and Lyft. But the truth is a lot of companies are now going to have to determine whether the independent contractors that, there have been u- that they have been using – are actually independent contractors or are they employees under the ABC test? And there are a lot of industries outside of ride sharing that are impacted by this. So the requirements got a lot more stringent for estheticians, barbers, manicurists, um, freelance writers, 
translators, number of professions have actually been impacted by this. And in the platform economy space, it goes way beyond ride sharing. So it's folks like DoorDash and TaskRabbit and other companies. Um, In a lot of cases, there's just confusion and employers simply aren't willing to take the risk because the penalties are are harsh. I mean, confusion creates cost. And confusion, especially with government regulation, um, is a challenge for if you're a small operator. And I'll give you an example of how probably this is impacting. You know, I go to my chiropractor. He has a massage therapist that works as a contractor within his operation. Now what happens to that person? And that becomes confusion. And most people want to be very conservative about this. Like you said, they don't want the penalties. They don't want government knocking on their door. Uh, and this now creates a whole new deal out there. And I guess, Jeff, from your, your you know, you, I mean, it's not only happening in California, it seems to be happening elsewhere. There are similar in this hodgepodge of rules and regulations by each state or communities. There are similar measures that are proposed in other states that have a similar political climate to California, places like New York and New Jersey and elsewhere. Um, and so what we could have is a situation where we're creating a patchwork of different state rules. And a lot of these independent contractors that are currently operating as such do go across state lines to do their business. And that's going to create some interesting circumstances for them. But I think the interesting thing here, the the intent of this is not, uh, in my view or most others, to clarify tax status. The, The intent here is to force these companies to provide Uh, these independent contractors that would turn into employees with benefits, with insurance, um, health insurance benefits, retirement benefits, all sorts of other benefits. And what I think most of these companies would tell you is um, that that adds probably about a 30 percent additional cost per employee to their books and that they simply would not be able to take that burden. Many of these companies, these new entrants, um, especially in the ride-sharing um, industry, but others as well, are not yet profitable. So adding I mean, more. They're, they're big money losers right now. They are. They've, they've been know. losing money for yeah. years. And uh, some of them, you know, have been around for a decade and um, lost the most money they ever lost last right, year. Right, right. Um, they, all, they all intend and target to be profitable, but this would, would complicate that. And I, I think if the interesting thing in California will be, I, I doubt, um, I'm skeptical that they have the capacity to enforce this. That that's part of it, right? If you put a law like this, and you have millions of people, we'll use California as an example. The enforcement mechanism alone is going to be long, expensive, and cumbersome just to set up and get moving. But you know, I guess when I look at this and I hear this issue, I'm trying to figure out where it's going. We have these states, and will you work? You know, we all do uh, work with the federal end of all these. And you know, my my wondering or my question might be. You know, within the realm of this issue, as states start to do things, is there federal government interest, maybe regulatory or legislative by folks, to deal with this issue? Or is this, and we haven't said the words yet, but I mean, it's the gig economy as part of this new world we're living in, that things are changing. Is there something percolating that, you know, people we work with here at Brownstein, clients that come to us and ask us questions that we should be looking over our shoulder and saying, they're coming, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, you know, usually when they say that, they say they're here to help, uh, but not maybe in this case. Is there is that percolating the federal uh, Absolutely. Um, a is number there of a parties, way to deal with this state kind of growing problem? Perhaps. Um, this is not too different than the privacy debate where you ha- you saw California again kind of a, a leader 
on uh, progressive policy, take some actions, and a number of uh, businesses came to Washington, D.C. saying, hey, we can't have these onerous rules in uh, one of the largest economies of the world, California. We need uh, some uniform rules across the uh, the 50 states. And um, as long as we know what those rules are and there's a uniform rule, um, we'd be for something like that. Uh, lawyers call that preemption. And uh, preemption debates in Washington, D.C. are always very tough. I would say that I think uh, there are a number of uh, Democrats taking their cues from the labor movement that would like to see a national rule that's not too different from the California rule. Uh, I think that there are um, uh, Republicans and conservatives who are skeptical of uh, the California rule. At a minimum, I think they'd like to see you know, how it shakes out because uh, it very well may have the detrimental impact that uh, Jeff described, um, that you described in the example with the uh, chiropractor. Uh, in preparation for this podcast, one estimate that I saw was that uh, if a nationwide ABC rule, as Rada explained it, were put in place, it could impact 13 million contract workers who are responsible for an excess of a trillion dollars worth of economic output, a significant impact. So not only will it have an impact on the, the, the uh, um, uh, massage business or the chiropractor business, but it'll certainly have a much broader economic impact. And I think some Republicans are looking at, at this in the way that they look at the minimum wage debate as you get different uh, states and localities pass, passing minimum wage laws. You know, there's a bit of a differentiation there. And so jobs are beginning to migrate from uh, areas that are either, you know, high tax or high regulation to those that aren't. So uh, I think there's going to be a little bit of wait and see in Washington, D.C. I don't see any legislation um, going to the president's desk this Congress, but that dynamic could change, particularly if Democrats add uh, to their ranks in the House and flip the Senate. One, one interesting thing about this that differentiates, I think, from the minimum wage um, trend that we've been seeing where the states are increasing it while the feds kind of drag their feet to a certain extent is that in that situation, you have these workers that are very much interested in that change. In this situation, most of these gig economy workers, almost all of them, aren't asking for this change. In fact, both the employer and – well, not, not an employer, the company and the independent contractors are happy with the status quo and I think are worried to some level that this would disrupt it. I will, I'll just have one other thing. You know, some of our larger clients that use independent contractors, we've been advising them, if you're confident that you're using this appropriately, let's go in now to your regulator and get them to issue an opinion Open up your books, yep. show them what you're doing, and have them issue an opinion, which we've been successful in doing, saying this: your current practice is compliant with the law. So being proactive versus waiting for something to happen to you, the advice – and actually, I just wrote that note down. What advice would we be giving to our clients at this time? And, it, and it's being more proactive, be on the offense, don't wait for something to happen to you. Sure. I mean, that's not going to be a get-out-of-jail-free card if some future right. administration changes the rules. At least, right. But at least it lets you know that you, you know, if someone wants to come after you right now, or, or it, you're compliant. And, and B, it sets a standard that a new administration would have to take a look at and explain why they're making a change. Rhoda, tell me, you know, I mentioned it, the gig economy. I mean, what what Jeff just said, I mean, you have this gig economy occurring. Most people aren't sure what it is. 
but you know, all you do anytime you get an Uber, that's part of it. You know, uh, you get food delivered to your house, and it's not the pizza guy; it's someone else with a company that delivered it for you. That's unrelated to the company. Um, this is a new economy. In a lot of ways, the rules that have been written in the past may have not caught up with what's happening. As we just heard, you know, unless I'm missing something, I'm not seeing a lot of stories or articles or outcry from people in the gig economy saying, oh, we want to be employees. We don't want to be, you know, an independent contractor. I'm not hearing that unless there's something going on. So explain this kind of contradiction between the rules and this new economy. And this is not an outcry. It's almost like some elected officials just grabbing a problem because it's something they can go play with. So the gig economy. I get to say that as a former elected official, because <laughs> <laughs> I, get, yes, I know do. what they do sometimes. So it's well intentioned, but I think <laughs> Very um, good, good, it, it nice. misses the mark. The gig economy has been defined in many ways, but the easiest way to think about it is short-term contracts, freelance work that has replaced the traditional employer-employee relationship, right? So you're not talking about a nine-to-five over here. These people intentionally choose to participate in the gig economy because you can set your own schedule. You, you know, if I'm an Uber driver, I can drive from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. every day and then spend normal business hours doing something else. So I think that's something to remember about the gig economy. These workers really value their flexibility. Um, And they're oftentimes not just working at one place. They're working at Multiple. Multiple, mm-hmm. exactly. They're working at multiple places. So when you look at the ABC test, I think it, it depends on who you're asking. But it, there, one way to look at it is that the gig economy company, as the platform that's connecting uh, workers with a with an end user to provide a certain service, it will always be within that company's main line of business. So take the ride-sharing example. Um, I'm Uber. I have a platform. I connect drivers with the end user looking for a ride. But if you ask the gig economy companies, um, well, I I think you said it earlier, it's one of the folks at Uber basically said that they're a tech platform for a digital marketplace. And that's Technically, in their mind, not providing the service. Exactly. They're just the in-between. But you have to think about all the things that would stop if this were enforced. Almost every ride-sharing car I've gotten into, the person works for – does both Uber and Lyft. That would cease to be an option. A lot of them – a lot of my kids' teachers drive Uber in the summer. Mm -hmm. Probably couldn't do that anymore. I I have a friend who's a retired D.C. cop. Mm -hmm. He drives Uber while his kids are at school. Right. And I think they would cease to be able to make their own schedule and they'd cease to be able to work for multiple companies most likely. Um, so it, it creates yeah, a lot of because if you're an employer now, right. and you don't want your employee working for another company if they're now an employee. No. Right. You know, as an independent contractor, you're hands off. You know, that's their business unless you have some sort of non-compete clause. But that's the essence of an independent contractor. Yeah. And I think Jeff actually raises a really interesting question. OK, now, if I am an employee of Uber, but I also drive for Lyft – who provides my benefits? How how yeah. does that whole system work? I think there are a lot of things that they just haven't thought through in enacting the ABC test. You know, I, I think about this issue and you're trying to figure always, you know, if you're 
if you're an elected official, you're trying to figure out, okay, who's for this, who's against this, and then kind of why are we here? You know, that's always kind of the fundamental question. Sometimes we lose track of that when you get down the path. But you, you have groups like Uber who are obviously against it. You have some independent contractor groups that are against it because it's just not in their business model. That's the way it's been working for decades in some cases. Who's, who's for it? I guess. I, I, I recognize the potential for the benefit component, but like you just described, who pays the benefit? Is it the one you work more hours with or is it proportional? You know, that's a very complex issue. But who, who's, who wants this? Who's the, where's the driver? Well, like well, perhaps one answer is to look at the uh, sponsor of AB5, um, Lorraine Gonzalez, who is a uh, elected official from San Diego uh, area, uh, really made her bones in the in the labor movement. Um, she um, as a former labor leader, daughter of an immigrant farm worker uh, and a nurse who um, uh, worked to unionize nurses, and so she really came from. The labor movement, and it is, um, uh, from what we can tell, uh, unions certainly would benefit if they were able to organize uh, these various businesses, particularly in a state like uh, like California. Um, you know, that would be a huge boon to them. At the same time, they're seeing their numbers uh, decline, which has been, you know, a multi. Uh, decade sort of phenomenon. So I think that's probably a, a clear benefit. Uh, and I think Jeff was probably right about the uh, op- uh, where the opposition or at least lack of support is coming from. Is this a, a solution where there is no real problem? Is it that kind of situation where it's just... Well, the, the, the companies are happy with the status quo and the workers are happy with the status quo. And the community that uses these products seems to be these, – these gig economy companies seems to be growing. So that would say yes. Yes. <laughs> and the other – one irony might be that um, AB5 turns out to not actually apply to the Uber and Lyfts. Um, right. Uber and Lyft who both spent approximately a half a million dollars each on lobbying the state legislature are uh, turning their attention to uh, the courts and they've publicly announced that they're not going to apply uh, for the reason that Rada mentioned, that they don't view the um, uh, driving portion of what occurs as core to their business. Uh, as she said, their general counsel was quoted as saying that, that they are a technology platform for a digital marketplace. And so you know, they are going to argue that the second factor of that ABC test uh, is not met and therefore the law doesn't apply. So while you may see some job uh, loss or changes for freelance writers, musicians, actors and the like, um, you may not see much of a t- change in the so-called gig economy. You know, we'll have to wait and see how that all shakes That's out. That's the real question, right? Who's the collateral damage of this? That was really This was really an effort focused on mainly the ride-sharing companies. You're going to have there, – there's about 20 industries that were carved out in the legislation. Right. But you're going to have other people that won't take the cavalier attitude that the, the ride-sharing companies are taking and saying, we simply doesn't apply to us and we're not going right. to apply. They're probably going to talk to – their CPA and say, what do I do here? And say, right. you, you need to comply with this. And it could cost some people some jobs. It's interesting. Maybe the law, like you said, was targeted at one group. Mm-hmm. And when all done and said, that group may not even be impacted and everyone else gets 
the repercussions of this, which was not the target. Let me turn to just a moment before we finish on the politics of this. So we're in this middle of a presidential year. The Senate uh, is, you know, in play to some degree. Um, the House, not so much, uh, but it, definitely the presidential and the Senate. What happens if it stays status quo or let's say it turns the Senate and or the presidency to democratic control and let's well, let's just put it in that frame. What do you think happens? Does this become within the federal conversation at a much higher level or does it just kind of stay stagnant until something big? But if there's a, a Warren or a Sanders sitting in the White House? Well, well, I'll Will, jump, you jumped right I'll to jump, the mic. I'll so jump in. So basically I, I think it's, all, it's already a part of the conversation. There are bills in Congress that would address this. States are going to continue to address it. So regardless of the result of the election, this issue isn't going away. Um, however, if what you said happens, either Democrats take over the Senate or the presidency, this is going to jump to Higher a level. top-tier issue if for no other reason there's just much better – chance of enactment and that uh, and for that reason focusing on it now uh, is important because you uh, may get caught short next January gotcha. and again I want to reemphasize one thing and then just kind of a broad question it might be rhetorical but uh, I think what you said Jeff and that is when clients come to Brownstein and this is definitely within our you know people are asking we got a lot of corporate clients that are trying to figure this out I mean the advice is don't wait and see. Be a little proactive. Understand where you are if you use independent contractors. Uh, be aware of what's happening as we are informing our clients on a regular basis of these kind of issues. But making sure that they don't kind of say, oh, it might go away or it's not their problem because it's California and they're maybe in, uh, you know, in Ohio and they don't think it's a big issue. But, but no matter where they're located, if they're folks that are concerned about this or have independent contractors, they should be more proactive. And that's kind of the role Absolutely. we're playing. And, and you know, one of the sad things about this is there are industries that we haven't discussed today where the use of independent contractors is being abused. Mm-hmm. And, and right. people should be uh, getting benefits and paid differently. And it would be nice if, if our elected uh, leaders would focus on maybe that problem. That problem. <laughs> as opposed to dragging all these other people uh, into this fight. But yes, I think it's, it's a very good time for people to be taking a look at kind of auditing their own procedures and looking at what they can do proactively to get an opinion on the books from a regulator saying you're doing it the right way, you're compliant. Um, like, I, like I said, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It doesn't uh, do much if, if, if the rules change, but it certainly makes it harder to change the rules and gives you at least probably the ability to sleep at night uh, <laughs> as, a, as a CEO. Let me ask a broad s- this question. And, and Rada, we talked about this uh, not when we were on the mics here, but it's a big question, and that is, is this – and it maybe is a rhetorical question and doesn't need a response, but I'd be interested. Is this bigger question now because our economy is shifting and constantly moving and it's not the normal nine to five or, you know, kind of economy anymore, uh, that how companies or how this country looks at benefits paid to employees or available to employees, I should say, is, are we looking at that? Maybe we have to think about that in a bigger – maybe it's the 30,000, 50,000-foot level and say, OK, maybe that's what we need to be focused on rather than these bits and pieces. No. 
I think so. I mean, I think Will said this earlier. The uh, sponsor of AB5 in California has deep roots in labor. A mm. lot of the Democrats that support this type of legislation are looking at this from an income inequality perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a growing wealth gap. You have a lot of workers who no longer have benefits because our system is tied to this employment-based model of, of – um, You work of, for X, you get these benefits exactly. if you work X amount of hours. Exactly. And all of that has changed now. So I think this is a well-intentioned effort to try to address that issue and to try to give workers certain protections. I think it misses the mark for – all the reasons that we've kind of discussed. Yeah. But I think legislators should look at other solutions and other ways to address this issue. And there are actually a lot of interesting bills out there that do just that. So everything from what Uber and Lyft have actually championed, things like creating a third category of worker so that you can actually provide people with benefits and other protections without risking categorization or classification as an employee. And I think that might be a much better avenue to go down. And for clients that are interested, that's the conversation that you should be having with lawmakers. And I think that lawmakers um, fail – to recognize some generational changes that had happened and that I think that my father's generation, a lot of people wanted to find a, a, a job you could count on with a great pension. And I think these younger generations, what they value is flexibility. Right. And I want to be able to work from home maybe or I want to be able to pick my own hours. But I think that the, they value different things right. and the gig economy reflects that. Yeah, there are more renters than homeowners. There's mm -hmm. a interesting statistics with this uh, group of folks who want or are working today than what it was a generation ago, for sure. Yep. Well, first, let me say thank you all very much. Uh, Will, Rada, uh, Jeff, thank you very much. This is actually an interesting conversation because I don't think a lot of people see it, but they're start, they, they will feel it and potentially they'll feel it in their pocketbooks if it's not dealt with in such a, a way. And this broader question is one that I think a lot of people uh, are not focused on because they, they you know, it's, that's a big question. It's hard for people to grasp it, but it is an interesting concept of what do you do with this new economy where there is more freedom and flexibility of the employee that they want today than they ever have. So, again, thank you all very much for this conversation. Again, we are pleased at Brownstein to bring these podcasts to give a little more information to our clients and others. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.